505 uh, in the evening. I'm Royal Oaks in for Ben Shapiro today here on Talk Radio 790 KABC. And of course, uh, the news of the day is the Derek Chauvin verdict out of Minneapolis, Minnesota. And I don't think it was a shock. It was what most people expected, but it is certainly uh, reverberating across the country and probably across the world. And here at KBC, as always, we welcome your thoughts, your comments, uh, your concerns about this situation. Uh, Let me get the phone number out to you. It's 1-800-222-KABC. That's 1-800-222-5222. So the news, of course, is several hours ago, unanimous jury verdict came back after a several-week trial in Minneapolis. Officer Derek Chauvin has been found guilty of all three charges. There were three charges, one murder in the second degree, which is felony murder, which we'll talk about in a little bit, get some of the details for you. Murder in the third degree, which is actually similar to a crime here in California called murder in the second degree, where you didn't intend to kill somebody, but you didn't really care. You just did a bunch of stuff you knew might result in the death, but you didn't care. So technically you didn't intend it. That's what prevents it from being murder in the first degree. And finally, manslaughter. So all 12 jurors said that he was guilty, uh, Officer Derek Chauvin, of all three counts. And of course, the keystone to the case was the nine and a half minute video showing Officer Derek Chauvin keeping his knee on George Floyd's neck for that entire time, including after when he was unconscious and didn't have a pulse, which I think was the key to the case. So questions that might be going through your mind, number one, was justice served? Most people probably, having seen at least some of the video and checked out some of the trial, probably thought one crime or another applied. Yeah, we're comfortable with a conviction. What do you think? Was justice served by this verdict? Another question that comes to mind, even if he is guilty of a homicide crime of some kind, was a fair trial possible in this climate? In the no justice, no peace environment that was created by the reaction to the trial, was it possible for 12 human beings to sort of robotically do their civic duty without regard to possible repercussions and reaction? So that's another question that you you might want to weigh in on, 1-800-222-KABC. If you were his lawyer, would you have had Derek Chauvin testify? Because he didn't. So, of course, second uh, armchair quarterbacking is easy, Uh, Monday morning quarterback. Uh, But the fact of the matter is, most people, I think, predicted that he would be convicted of some level of crime. I don't think too many people predicted um, a hung jury, although uh, certainly he held out hope for that. I don't know if anybody on the planet was expecting 12-0 vote, given that video of not guilty. So given all that, If you're the defense lawyer sitting next to your client and the prosecution has just finished their case and it's gone pretty well for them, and now you've started your defense case and it's it's gone okay, you've got a bunch of doctors and PhDs that said, oh, you know, we don't think that it was the knee on the neck that killed him, it was other stuff, it was his heart condition or drugs or whatever. Um, But you got to be realistic. Why don't you look at each other, the lawyer and the client, and say, it's time for a Hail Mary pass. Let's put you on the stand and have you tearfully testify, showing your remorse that he died. You never intended that he uh, be killed, and you thought you were following police procedure. Why wouldn't you have done that? If you were his lawyer, would you have had him testify? Another question you might want to weigh in on on KBC. 
Are you expecting trouble around the country, trouble locally in the streets? Do you think people will, instead of celebrating quietly and peacefully, uh, resort to violence for some reason? 1-800-222-KABC, the number 1-800-222-5222, if you'd like to weigh in. So what does this mean for Derek Chauvin in terms of time behind bars? Well, uh, it's, it's still up in the air because the sentencing actually won't be for two months. And between now and the hearing, during which the sentence will be announced by the judge, of course the jury is gone, they have nothing to do with the sentencing, uh, between now and then, the judge will consider whether there are any aggravating factors that maybe should add a few extra uh, years to the sentence. He can look into the state of mind uh, of Derek Chauvin as he understands it, and he, he might even add a few years. But setting that aside, if you're convicted of murder in the second degree in Minnesota, you could get up to 40 years. Now, you don't get 40 years for a first conviction. If you don't have any priors, even though 40 is the max for murder in the second degree, generally you're going to get between 11 and 15 years based on the sentencing guidelines in Minnesota. And of those 11 to 15 years, let's say he gets to 15 years, you only are going to serve two-thirds of that in prison, and the other third will probably be on parole, assuming you kept your nose clean while you were in the Gray Bar Hotel. So probably Chauvin is looking at a decade behind bars. But there's more than murder two involved here. There's also murder in the third degree. That could get him 35 years, but the sentencing guidelines would kick it down to about 10 years, and if he serves two-thirds of that, then he's looking at six or seven years. And finally, there's manslaughter. That could result in a sentence of 10 years. But once again, because he doesn't have any priors, that would be kicked down to probably about four years. So he's looking at maybe three years. Now, will the judge tack on the 10 and the 8 and the 3 to come up with total, totaling something around 20? Probably not. The judge will probably say, yeah, you were convicted for all three, but I'm just going to sentence you based on the worst offense, murder in the second degree, and so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to send you to prison for the 15 years, and he'd be out in 10 years. Now, what, what do all of these charges mean? Well, the difficulty the prosecution had, and they didn't have too many difficulties in this case, in the Derek Chauvin case, uh, but one difficulty they had was the notion, kind of the presumption that people have that murder, I know what murder is, it's an intent to kill. But that's not the case in connection with a crime called felony murder, which California has, a lot of states have, including Minnesota. So what is felony murder? It's something that this jury had to learn about. Well, the classic example that helps people understand it is you want to go stick up a 7-Eleven. So you got your gun and you got your mask. You already had your mask anyway. So you walk into the 7-Eleven and you say, okay, I'd like a Slim Jim and I'd like some uh, strawberry milk and, oh, by the way, everything in the cash register and you wave the gun. You do not intend to kill the guy. You, ab you absolutely are praying that you don't kill this man. All you want is the Slim Jim and the strawberry milk and the money. But he resists with a gun or without a gun, and he ends up dead. So, are you guilty of murder when you never intended to kill that man? Yes, you are, because of the crime of felony murder, which means if somebody dies when you are committing a felony, even if you did not intend to hurt them, much less kill them, you're a murderer. And that's what the Minnesota jury convicted Derek Chauvin of. They didn't think that he intended to kill, the, uh, kill George Floyd. Now, you might infer with the neck on the knee 
after nine and a half minutes, after a while when he wasn't breathing and he had no pulse, somebody might argue, I think that guy wanted to kill George Floyd. But that's not what the prosecution argued. They made it very clear throughout the trial they didn't have to prove uh, an intent to kill, and they didn't have to, and the jury didn't have to find that. But the jury did find that there was murder in the second degree, which is felony murder in Minnesota. So how's that different from the second charge? The second charge was murder in the third degree, less serious, theoretically, than murder in the second degree, uh, fewer years in prison. So how's it different? Well, I mentioned earlier that it's similar to a crime we have here in California called murder in the second degree. Okay, we've got it. Second degree, Minnesota has third. What is murder in the third degree in Minnesota? Well, the best example of that one is picture a guy who's uh, sitting near the train tracks and he's got a Luger in his hand and he's a pretty demented guy because he thinks his idea of fun is shooting a gun into a moving Amtrak train. And so he does. Does he intend to kill anybody? Absolutely not. It is the furthest thing in his life. In terms of intent, he does not want anybody to die. He just likes the idea of shooting into a moving train. He thinks that's his idea of getting kicks. That's murder in the second degree, because even if you don't intend to murder somebody, you nonetheless are aware intellectually that there's a danger that somebody will die. But you know what? You don't care, because that's how you roll. You just want to have fun, and so you shoot into the train. That's murder, too. And they found him guilty of that in Minnesota as well. This jury unanimously found that Officer Derek Chauvin didn't really care. He knew there was a danger George Floyd would, Floyd would die. We're not saying that he wanted him and he intended that he die. He just knew darn well there was a distinct chance he would die and he kept sticking his knee onto his neck anyway. So now we've got the second conviction of murder in the second degree. Now we go to the third and final charge and that's manslaughter. Well, that's kind of the classic thing that most people understand. Once again, no intent to kill, but you are so negligent, you're so reckless as to the possibility of a death that you are guilty of the crime of manslaughter. And this jury found Officer Derek Chauvin guilty of all three of those crimes. So one question people uh, have been asking was, gosh, this was quick. We, we thought O.J. Simpson had a quick uh, jury verdict. And of course, it was even quicker on the murder verdict. I think that was two or three uh, hours back in 1995. But this was pretty quick because you had a bunch of doctors, dueling doctors. On the prosecution side, they had a whole parade of physicians saying, are you kidding me? This isn't an even, this isn't a tough call. Of course, George Floyd died as a result of a knee on his neck, cutting off his oxygen. He died from lack of oxygen, asphyxia, end of story, and therefore, you know, we support the prosecution's case. And oh, by the way, a bunch of Witnesses also testified for the government saying, hey, you know what, um, this violated police uh, practice, including the police chief in Minnesota, in Minneapolis, who testified for the prosecution. So that's what you have on the prosecution side. On the other side, though, you had a whole parade of doctors and PhDs who said, wait, 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 not so fast. Um, in fact, George Floyd may well have died as a result of many factors other than the knee on the neck. We've looked at the video and we don't really see too much compression of, of the knee on the neck. We think based on our expert opinion, you'd need about 225 pounds of pressure on a neck for an extended period of time before somebody might succumb and die. And we don't see that on the video. What we do see in the record is that George Floyd had methamphetamine in his system. 
and he had fentanyl in his system, and he had an enlarged heart, and he had some heart conditions, and he had uh, possibly to inhale a lot of carbon monoxide coming out of the tailpipe of the squad car just a few feet away from where he was lying on the ground. All sorts of things, plus the fact that he was very stressed out physically and mentally from a fight which went on for about 10 minutes. And if you watch most of the video from that trial, you know that it was a protracted fight. The cops showed up at the, at the store where George Floyd allegedly passed a $20 counterfeit bill in order to make a purchase. They told him, okay, uh, please get into the, into the squad car. And he totally freaked out. He started screaming, saying, I've had COVID. I've got claustrophobia. It's so tiny and dark in the back of that car. I want to sit in the front of the car. And they said, no, you got to get in the back of the car. They said, we'll lower the window for you. But he wasn't buying it. And they actually struggled and has had a physical fight for about 10 minutes trying to get him in. And finally, they said, okay, we're going to take a break here and then let him sit down on the ground. And at that point, what happened was that uh, they then said, okay, now you are going into the, into the car after all. He fought once again, and that's when Chauvin gets involved, and he takes over for the two rookie cops who'd been dealing with George Floyd, Floyd and Chauvin puts him down on the ground and puts his knee on his neck. You've got doctors and PhDs with conflicting testimony about all this. What does that translate to? Well, it didn't translate into any questions out of the jury room to the judge. We often see a bunch of questions during the multi-day deliberation process. Nothing whatsoever. Did they ask for a read back of any testimony? No. Did they ask for the judge to explain a, a convoluted uh, uh, jury instruction that they didn't understand? No. Now, you can be your own guess as to why they acted so quickly. Uh, they clearly wanted to get the heck out of there. They worked late last night after they got the, the case, and they showed up early today, and they finished up by the middle of the day, and the verdict was announced. So why was it such a quick verdict? One of the problems with the defense case was that it was a very uh, risky thing to do to try to attack the crowd. Uh, one of the defense arguments was that there was an unruly crowd, that was distracting Officer Chauvin, that prevented him from focusing all his attention on how to do his job taking care of George Floyd. This was kind of a flop. The defense tried to demonize a crowd, and what did the prosecution do? They turned around, and among the very first witnesses the prosecution put on were a nine-year-old girl who said that, you know, I'm very sad about what I saw, I'm very mad about what I saw, and nine-year-old girls generally are not much of a threat to cops. There was a 17-year-old young woman who testified, explaining essentially the same thing. She couldn't understand why this cop continued to have his knee on George Floyd's neck even after, their, uh, after uh, nine and a half minutes and when there was no pulse and there was no, there was no sign of life there. In fact, he passed out. So it kind of failed the attempt by the, the defense to demonize the crowd and turn them into an unruly crowd. About the only explanation the defense for Derek Chauvin offered for why he kept his knee on George Floyd's neck minute after minute, even after there was no pulse and no breathing, was because, well, he was distracted by, well, it was a woman from the crowd who seemed like she was about to approach him. And he was so concerned, he whipped out his can of mace and brandished it at the crowd. The jury did not buy it. What about you? Did you buy it? 1-800-222-KABC. If you'd like to share your thoughts, 1-800-222-5222. Was justice served 
Was a fair trial possible given the climate of publicity? Would you have had George Floyd's uh, alleged killer, Officer Chauvin, testify? And are you expecting significant trouble in response to this verdict? Let us know your thoughts here on Talk Radio 790 KABC. Royal Oaks in for Ben Shapiro. Stick with us. 524 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC, Royal Oaks. In for Ben Shapiro, 1-800-222-KABC, the number. We've got Chris coming up, Dorit. We're going to get all of your thoughts on the air. Um, by the way, John Phillips was kind enough to mention uh, KBC is running my one-minute spot, It's the Law, streaming on KBC.com. Please check it out. And check out my podcast, uh, Too Many Lawyers. My son, Connor Oaks, and I do a podcast every week, uh, wherever you get your shows. Please check them out. Let's go to Chris in Costa Mesa. You're on KBC. Welcome. Hey, how are you today? Good, thanks. Good. Hey, real quick, I'm going to ask you my question, and then, but let me give a real quick comment on what you had sure. said. You know, if I'm a police chief and there's a problem um, with putting him in the car, you've got three Caucasian officers, you've got an African-American, he's handcuffed, and if it's that big of a deal, call, the, the, I think somebody at the dispatch or the chief could have said, or somebody in the higher-up could have said, listen, call an ambulance, you guys are going to ride with him in the ambulance, take him in an ambulance, and take him to, straight to the station in an ambulance, and I want two officers to ride with him. Case closed. That could have been one thing that they had done. My question, and you can comment after my question, but my next question was, I didn't, you're the expert, but it seemed to me from the little bit that I did hear of the case, or about maybe half of it on and off on the radio, was it was essentially over when the police officers themselves from the chief on down to every expert in the police department testified against him that said this is not the protocol this is not the training that he's trying to claim it is i thought you could have picked up the you know closed the books picked up the whole thing and the show was over yeah let me respond first by uh, admiring uh, your directorial ability because you uh, your comment and then the question you're like martin scorsese chris there may be a future for you at kbc uh, directing the show. So here's my response to your comment. I think you're right. There were lots of things. They could have put him in an ambulance. They could have done half a dozen things. You know, uh, the defense did a, as good a job as possible explaining that there were many options and actually the knee on the, the neck uh, is not the most extreme version. But at the end of the day, I think it, it was on too long. I mean, nine and a half minutes is, is one thing. It's the last minute or two. That's when he died because he was yelling and screaming up until about eight or eight and a half minutes. It was only then when he went quiet and you know that that was it and I think you're right about uh, when the top cops testified that that put the 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 icing on the cake even without them though yeah. I think the video probably would have been enough hey Chris thanks for sharing your thoughts let's uh, go to Dorit in Orange County you're on KBC with Royal and for Ben Shapiro yeah so I agree with uh, the last caller and I also think that um, it's very important to highlight and no one is saying that that most police officers are good police officers majority of them are out trying to protect the public. So I don't think anyone is addressing that, and it's very important to to, uh, to make that point. That that said, I do think that nine and a half minutes is what really caused this verdict. This is what brought this verdict to where to, to where it uh, to where it fell, and I think that it's probably accurate and adequate because it was uh, too long. And uh, I agree with the last caller. Many ways to have someone arrested. And uh, your points are well taken as to all the charges and also as to the fact that the guy was already gone. 
and the knee continued to stay on his neck. See, that is the problem. Now, the only issue I have here with the prosecution is why didn't they call their client to the stand? If he is innocent, why didn't they have him testify? Yeah, I think the defense, uh, you said prosecution, but I think you meant oh, the, the defense, defense did, yeah, did not call him to the stand because typically you don't uh, do it because it's so dangerous. The cross-examination could be withering. He would be walked through every single minute of that nine and a half minutes and challenged, you know, still your knee is on the neck and all of, all of the other strong points of the prosecution. And I think the defense was thinking to themselves, let's just cross our fingers and let's just get out of Dodge. Let's hope one juror, you know, one of the jurors said, I believe in blue lives matter. Let's hope she holds out for us. So I, th I think that's why it happened. But, uh, you know, it, it's, it's easy to second guess the decision, but in retrospect, yeah, I think he should have tearfully expressed remorse and, and said, you know, I never intended to kill this man, and I'm so sorry it happened. And who knows, that might have, might have swayed that one That would have saved him several years in prison, in my opinion. He should have it said could be. Him. You may be right. Yeah. It could have knocked it down yeah. from, from the top murder charge to one of the others. Hey, Dorit, thank you so Bye. much. Let's, let's move thank to you. David. You're on KABC. Welcome. Um, what was the final cause of death? Was it asphyxia or heart attack? Right, cardiopulmonary uh, failure. Um, basically, the the autopsy concluded that a lot was going on, but uh, asphyxia. You know, when you run out of oxygen, then uh, then you die. And the defense tried to say, oh, but there's more to it than that. Here are all these doctors to say, oh, it was uh, his heart condition and the methamphetamine and the fentanyl and so on. Jury wasn't buying it. I think they looked at the video. They heard a very strong prosecution case, and that was it. Hey, David, thank you for sharing your thoughts. 1-800-222-KABC is our number, 1-800-222-5222. This is Royal Oaks and Ben Shapiro. We will be right back. Talk Radio 790K, ABC Time 535, Royal Oaks in for Ben Shapiro, talking about the uh, Derek Chauvin verdict. If you uh, have been busy and haven't heard, uh, the officer in Minneapolis was convicted today. 12-0 vote on all three counts for guilty of uh, murder in the second degree and third degree and manslaughter in the death of George Floyd. In a couple of months, the judge will issue the sentence. It'll probably be in the neighborhood of a decade. Uh, we welcome your calls at 1-800-222-KABC. If you've got thoughts about whether justice was served, or whether a fair trial was possible given the climate, the uh, attitude by most people that, yes, he was guilty. Uh, but in the meantime, we are delighted to be um, joined by Moses Castillo. He is a retired LABPD detective and host of the uh, Blue Line podcast. Uh, welcome to KABC. How are you? Thank you. Uh, I appreciate you be, uh, being here. Yeah, well, tell me uh, your take. I assume that you've followed the news of the day very carefully. Uh, so tell me uh, your take on this uh, verdict out of uh, Minneapolis. Well, I'm not surprised that they were found guilty. I, I was surprised that they were found guilty on all three. I was uh, suspecting that they would find them on the lesser charge. But as you all stated, uh, the current climate of the anti-police uh, rhetoric and just hating the, the police, uh, all cops are bastards, all cops are bad. Uh, it was going to be a tough battle, but, you know, I respect the verdict. That's our system that we live in, and, uh, you know, now now we have to wait for sentencing. Now let's see if what the judge would, is going to do in this case. Now, he has no prior history, so, uh, yeah, I know here in California, when, when, when somebody gets convicted of a, a murder charge, they, it, could, it could range from anywhere from probation to uh, 25 years to life. 
and so we'll see uh, what, how this plays out moving forward. And I know there were some other issues with some uh, comments made by Maxine Waters, and the judge felt that uh, information may lead uh, for the defense to file an appeal. Uh, so it's going to be interesting how this plays out. But uh, it's really sad for uh, policing across our country today because uh, I don't know any police officer that wakes up every morning and says, hey, today I'm going to take someone's life. It's not like that. You so know, let, we, me, we, let, me cha- let me challenge your, your perspective in this way. And I, I can't believe I'm going to be saying this because uh, I'm, I'm going to sort of argue uh, hypothetically for sending a message here. And the reason I can't believe I'm going to say it is because I've spent decades representing companies, in many cases insurance companies, and the nightmare situation for an insurance company is to get in front of a jury and not have a fair take by the jurors and instead have them succumb to the argument by the other side, doggone it, let's send a message to insurance companies everywhere that love to rip people off. We really don't like that and we, we fight back against it. So I can't believe I'm, I'm about to deviate from that. But let me ask you this. Don't we need to send a message to bad cops everywhere, whether they're racist or not, that if they cross the line, they will go to prison for a long, long time? And in that sense, setting aside the fact that, of course, Al Sharpton is going to do his thing and Maxine Waters is going to do her thing, a totally irresponsible call for violence, essentially, very thinly veiled. But still, if you believe, as most people do, and, and as I do, ever, having seen the, you know, the video from every possible angle and watching a lot of the trial, if you believe that this guy committed a crime, shouldn't you be glad that Derek Chauvin was convicted today? You know, whether you, know, you can quibble over the, the, the minor charge or the maximum charge. But in that sense, don't we want to send a message to bad cops everywhere that there's a price to be paid if, if you do something like Derek Chauvin did that crosses the line legally? Well, absolutely. I think the message is loud and clear that you're going to be held accountable for your actions and you may go to prison over this. So absolutely, it's loud and clear. And that's it should happen when anybody breaks the law, regardless if you're a police officer or not. If you break the law, you should go to prison for breaking the law. Uh, but what I'm, you know, to me, this could have been avoided. Um, we're talking about it all started over a $20 counterfeit bill. Uh, common sense here. I mean, I had a situation where I'm eating uh, lunch at a local IHOP, and the manager approaches us at the table and says, hey, this guy just tried to use a, f- a fake $100 bill to pay for his meal. And he, the manager is asking me to you know, intervene. So I go and talk to this individual, uh, homeless. Uh, I said, hey, do you have somebody that we could call to pay for it? And I did. I called his family uh, somewhere in back east. I got a hold of them, and they paid it over the phone with a credit card. So I kind of used common sense here. Over something like this, it wasn't worth it. Not at all. And obviously, it's tragic because not only did George Floyd lose his life, but, you know, our communities were, were damaged because of the looting and the rioting and the urban warfare that's going on. So it's tough. You know, most people wouldn't even dare uh, do this job. They wouldn't even dare uh, follow the career of a law enforcement. Uh, Yet, you know, we're quick to judge them and and condemn them. So it's a tough job, and it's going to take very special people to do it. So that's my take on it. I wish that police officers would obviously learn from this, don't repeat it, and use a little bit of common sense. Looking, Looking at the big picture, there was different ways that this could have been resolved instead of taking them, or try to take them to jail. Yeah, no you're, no, you're absolutely right. We're talking with Moses Castillo, retired LAPD detective, host of the Blue Line podcast. You can reach him on Twitter, at Detective Moses. So the, the thing about bad cops is, uh, uh, 
you don't know what Chauvin's uh, heart uh, was. You don't know if he was a racist or not. And in spite of the fact that people profess to know it, they, people don't really know the extent to which there is systemic racism in the society generally or racism among cops. So this ongoing debate is going to go on and people are going to exploit events to try to make their points. But specifically on the issue of how to ferret out bad cops, what is your thought, having been with the LAPD, I mean, the understanding we get, I think, is that most of the time when somebody turns out to be a bad cop and he's convicted, he has a kind of a rap sheet in terms of administrative complaints, public complaints. Isn't there a way we can head off the Derek Chauvins of this world by cracking down and trying to pinpoint bad cops based on their record, as opposed to condemning policing in generally? Because let's face it, you know, defunding police, ending policing, ending incarceration, it's crazy talk, and it just discredits the progressive viewpoint for, for people to embrace this and, and for their big politician leaders not to accept it. What do you think is a practical matter we can do to get rid of bad cops? I think for, for starters, if we look at the, uh, the the bad cops that we already identified and let's say they went to jail or they went to prison or they did some bad stuff, let's go back and start looking at their personnel file when they first came on the job, they did a background check. Let's see if we missed some red flags that we maybe identified, but we ignored them and we, we hired them anyways. I bet you that if we tighten up on those, because a lot of times we interview uh, there are people. I used, to, I used to work background, so I know uh, investigating a, a police applicant. We talk to their neighbors, we talk to their family, we talk to their spouses, we talk to anybody and everybody that knows them. But we go back as far as we can to learn about the individuals, and sometimes we do identify some red flags and issues. But because some of our city uh, official or, or guidelines, they're so liberal that we allow them in anyways. So I think number one, start looking at that. But yes, if we identify a police officer early on in the career that is a problem officer. And we identify them. Yes, let's let's identify. Yeah, no, I think I think I think that's a great idea. Hopefully, uh, people will uh, take it to heart. Moses Castillo, uh, the LAPD retired LAPD detective, uh, again host of the Blue Line podcast. Thanks so much for sharing your thoughts here on KABC. And we welcome all of your thoughts. One 222 KABC. Do you think justice was was served by convicting Officer Derek Chauvin of all three counts? Even if he was guilty of some crime, was a fair trial possible in the climate and the, the suggestions of violence and so on? Would you have put him on the stand had you been his attorney? And are you expecting there will be protests in response to all this? 1-800-222-KABC. I'm Royal Oaks in for Ben Shapiro. Stick with us. 547 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC. Royal Oaks in for Ben Shapiro. We're talking about the Derek Chauvin verdict, of course, out of Minneapolis. Guilty on all charges. Kind of a kind of a remake of the producers, one might say, if you remember the classic line now where the jury said, we find the defendant incredibly guilty. Well, that's kind of what the 12-0 vote represented here because they found the officer guilty in the death of George Floyd as to all three counts. Let's go to the phones. Tony in Long Beach, you're on KBC. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I appreciate you checking my call. Um, I, I know you posed the question, was justice served? And I, f I feel that it was. Um, I'm a working person, and I get a 30-minute lunch and two 10-minute breaks. And it's interesting because I was taking my 10-minute break today, and I, as I was taking it, I was thinking about the 9 minutes and 26 seconds that it took for George Floyd to be strangled to death. And I said to myself, wow, you know, that that's a long time just to, just to drive home the point. 
that justice was served. Um, I think that a first-degree murder charge would, be, would have been more appropriate because I think if you take 10 minutes to slowly murder someone, you have more than enough time to reflect on what you're doing. Um, well, you know, the prosecution looking. didn't want to be embarrassed by losing on the most serious count, and so I don't think they were ever going to go for murder one, because to do that, you have to prove that the officer did intend to kill. Now, you and a lot of people may think, in fact, he did intend to kill him. One of the arguments by the defense was, um, this officer knew uh, half a dozen people were filming him, surveillance cameras in the area. Um, the, even the 911 folks had, had surveillance camera. The body cams were recording it. Is he going to do something that in his mind he knows is an intentional murder? Now, you might say, well, this guy is a monster and he was so callous he, he didn't care. That's kind of hard to believe. And, Let you know, it isn't nine and a half minutes. It was the last minute because occasionally the police procedures say it's okay to put your knee on somebody's neck, but not to the point where you kill him due to lack of oxygen. So I can understand your extreme reaction to this, but I no, don't think the prosecution was ever going to go for murder one. I wanted to say something else about that. Sure. Um, um, a lot of people are saying that he was convicted on all three charges, second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and I believe manslaughter. Yes. And people are people are saying that he will only get um, time for the most serious charge. The other two charges are kind of just run concurrently. I mean, Correct. courts do run time consecutively. Sometimes um, they do, but usually if it's the same nexus of facts, it's the same exact act, they generally don't stack them. Instead, they just go with the most serious one. So probably, even though 40 years is the absolute max with no priors, he's probably going to get about 15. And in Minnesota, you serve two-thirds of your time, so he'll probably be out within a decade. That's that's really the betting. Hey, Tony, thanks for your call. Let's go to Lily in Los Angeles. You're on KBC with Royal N4, Ben Shapiro. Hi, yes. Um, thanks for taking I almost my said call. Ben Johnson from that wonderful movie, <laughs> Last Picture Show, but I, I caught myself. I said Ben Shapiro. Go ahead, Lily. <laughs> I just uh, I wanted to say that my husband is a police officer here in the Los Angeles area, um, and my father is actually, he was a prosecutor for over 10 years and has now been a criminal defense attorney for almost 30 years. He's old. <laughs> um, <laughs> but he, I just wanted to say that in speaking, concurred that they felt like it was bizarre that he was found guilty on both of the murder charges. Um, and I, I tend to agree with them. I think mansla the manslaughter charge makes a lot of sense. I don't think anybody disagrees with that, but it does seem a little bit overkill, the murder, two murder charges being Well, maybe that's because you're thinking of murder in the classic sense of, oh, murder equals intent to kill, but murder in the second degree in Minnesota is what's called felony murder, meaning he did not intend to kill him, but the death resulted in the commission of a felony, namely an assault. If you stick up the 7-Eleven and somebody dies, same deal. Oh, it was a felony. It led to the murder even though you didn't intend it. So in that sense, I don't think it's bizarre. And then once you convict him of the top one, it's a no-brainer for the jury to go ahead and, and convict of, of the others as well. Lily, thank you. Let's go to Angelo on the 405. Uh, sorry about you being on the 405, Angelo. What's your thought? Um, first of all, thank you for taking my call. Um, definitely, I think he, uh, I knew I could have bet that I'd, I'd say seven hours the, the jury was going to take him. I, I think it was a little less than that. Um, 
No, you know, uh, the thing that I cry, I mean, when I saw the first time the video, I have a nephew in New York who's a cop for 22 years. My other nephew in Italy is a policeman. So I, I've been around, you know, family members that are policemen. We talk about stuff like, like, like this all the time. To watch his demeanor while he had his knee on Floyd's neck, to me, it seemed like he was enjoying. Either that or he's the biggest idiot in the country. That caused billions of dollars damage thanks to his idiotic move. You know, it's an interesting point you raise, Angelo, and you may be right in the prosecution made hay out of the fact that he was picking rocks out of the tire next to uh, Floyd's neck and he was commenting on, on Floyd's uh, feet and so on. Yeah. The defense had yeah. an interesting angle there. The defense said, you know, one of the things cops are trained to do is that when there's an unruly crowd kind of threatening, you have to be very calm and collected and exude confidence. Maybe that was Chauvin's weird uh, way of, of reacting to the crowd. But you know what? That's kind of a side issue, I think. We'll find out if the jurors talk, and I bet they do because they like their first-class flights to New York and they like their town car into Manhattan to be on the, the morning shows. So we'll find out, I bet, tomorrow or the next few days what led to the verdict. Angelo, thank you for sharing your thoughts here on KABC. 1-800-222-KABC is the number. I'm Royal Oaks in for Ben Shapiro. Stick with us. At 56 the time on Talk Radio 790 KABC, Royal Oaks in for Ben Shapiro, talking about, of course, the Derek Chauvin guilty verdict earlier today in Minneapolis. Let us return to the phones. Marianne in Simi Valley, you're on KBC. Welcome. Thank you. Um, I just think that some, if not maybe all of the jurors, were a little scared if they didn't return a unanimous guilty verdict that they were going to be uh, blamed for the resulting uh, violence that would have definitely resulted if not, if there's still not going to be somebody out there, re oh, it's celebrating, and then they go crazy. And that's not only blamed for violence, what about targeted for violence themselves? Well, I mean, yes, that too. You, you, one of the witnesses for the defense, uh, they, they found a house he used to live in. They thought he still lived there, and they ended up you know, splattering pig blood all over it. I mean, this intimidation is really, is really a bad idea. It, it interferes with the justice system. I don't know why the judge didn't think of shipping this case out of the jurisdiction. Uh, I mean, I saw the video. I saw a good chunk of the trial. I would have voted guilty, too. But is it fair for jurors to be looking over their shoulder? I mean, I remember the second Rodney King trial in downtown Los Angeles in the 1990s after the cops were found not guilty in Simi Valley and we had riots. And the second trial happened. The judge announced, had the verdict announced at 7 a.m. on a Saturday because he thought that would minimize the chance of any of violence if it was another not guilty. That's not... A, a, a fair climate in, in which you adjudicate guilt, I don't think. Uh, Marianne, thank you. Let's go to Tim in Culver City. You're on KBC. Welcome. Hi. I think um, this situation is a no-win for, for anybody. Um, I'm sure there's things that the police officer could have done differently. But uh, the bigger question is how do, we, uh, how do we look at policing and fix that? Um, I, I have a big problem with people with the cops having guns. If I was a cop, I wouldn't want to have a gun. I mean, I know this is different than the Chauvin trial, but there's got to be something else we could put in their hands to take care of a situation without a bullet being the end-all, be-all um, in, in that regard. 
Well, you know, since I was a kid, I heard about how the cops, the bobbies, they call them in England, don't have guns. And I, I thought, I always thought, how, how does that happen? How can that be? Because you think, just think of cops as, you know, you of course they have guns. To, you know, to the degree we're going to be looking at reforming police procedures, I think we are going to be taking a hard look at changing the processes. We're not going to be defunding the police. We're not going to be taking all of their money away. But, yeah, I think this kind of a, a verdict is going to inspire further and more serious talk about police reform. Hey, thanks for calling, Tim. Uh, when we come back after the news, Dr. Kelly Victory is going to be talking to us. She's a trauma surgeon and mass casualty expert. Stick with us on KABC. 605 The Time on Talk Radio 790 KABC. I'm Royal Oaks. We are talking about the Derek Chauvin verdict out of Minneapolis today. Guilty on all counts, murder in the second degree and the third degree, and manslaughter in the death of George Floyd. We welcome your thoughts, 1-800-222-KABC. We're talking about whether justice was served by the verdict. And even if he was guilty, Chauvin, uh, of a crime, was a fair trial even possible given the climate and the attention from the president on down? If you were the lawyer, would you have put Derek Chauvin on the stand? Because he did not testify perhaps crossing his fingers, hoping for a hung jury and a, a better day down the road. 1-800-222-KABC. By the way, uh, KBC is uh, running my one-minute spot, It's the Law, on kbc.com. I do hope you'll check it out. And also, please check out my podcast, Too Many Lawyers. My son, Connor Oaks, and I uh, do the podcast every week. Wherever you get your shows, you can listen to Too Many Lawyers. Right now, we're very happy to be joined by Dr. Kelly Victory. Uh, you know her from her many appearances on KBC, including the John Phillips Show. She is a trauma surgeon, a mass casualty expert. If you've got questions for uh, Dr. Victory, 1-800-222-KABC. Dr. Victory, welcome to KBC. How are you? Hey, I'm well, Royal. Thanks for having me. My pleasure. Uh, I, I know that with your medical expertise, you can shed some light on the drug use issue in the George Floyd case. It was a big deal from the perspective of uh, the defense. Not so sure if it was a big deal uh, when it comes to the jury's attitude. Uh, we, we know their verdict, and so we can guess. We may hear from the jury if they decide to speak to the media. If history is any guide, they will. Uh, at least some of them will. Um, tell us your take on the issue of drug use by George Floyd in terms of uh, the interaction with uh, the legal issues in the trial. Well, there's no question, Royal, that, um, that George Floyd was a drug user, and he was admittedly so in his own words. Uh, and then the testimony of his former girlfriend, who said that they both were uh, opiate addicts, at least at one point, uh, having been addicted, according to her testimony, uh, during times of having pain. Uh, she said that George Floyd had significant back pain and became addicted to narcotics, uh, opiates specifically. Uh, there's no question that he took some opiates uh, when he was being arrested. All of that said, and regardless of how you feel about George Floyd, the man, um, I do not believe that that drug ingestion uh, played a role in his ultimate demise and in his death. Um, to be very clear, opiates, uh, and fentanyl in particular, is a very powerful opiate. It is a central nerve system depressant and absolutely can result in, and as we know, results in thousands of needless deaths 
every year when people take it and subsequently uh, become depressed, their central nervous system becomes depressed and they ultimately stop breathing. The issue, Royal, when that happens, however, is that people are not awake and talking and saying things like, I can't breathe, and then all of a sudden die. They become unconscious first. They slip into somnolence. They start heavy breathing. And then ultimately, their respiratory system is depressed enough that they fail to breathe. Same thing happens with heroin. Um, I, like probably you know, a vast majority of the population, has watched the video, and that is not what happened in this case. Um, so I, I don't deny or, or dispute whether or not George Floyd uh, did have a drug problem. I don't dispute whether or not he took uh, drugs on that at that particular day. But I don't believe that it contributed uh, likely to his ultimate death. And I think the jury was right in making the decision that they did. We're talking with Dr. Kelly Victory. So let's expand the medical issue beyond the drug concept to uh, the other issues raised by the defense in the trial, namely the heart issue and related concepts. And if, if you followed some chunks of the trial, then you know that essentially the defense was saying, okay, ladies and gentlemen of the jury, it's not that simple. The prosecution says there was a knee on a neck for nine and a half minutes. He couldn't breathe and he died and that was it. But you heard folks from a bunch of MDs and PhDs who said that this fellow had trouble. He had hypertension, he had heart conditions, his heart was actually enlarged, um, he um, was taking methamphetamine, he was taking fentanyl, uh, may not have been a huge amount of methamphetamine in his system, uh, there was a little more of fentanyl, and when you add up all these factors, and my goodness, there could have been carbon monoxide coming out of the tailpipe, spewing out of the tailpipe in the cop car, all of these things, plus the stress of the fight, because he fought with the cops for about 10 minutes in a, in a very heated emotional fight. You add it all up, the defense says, it's reasonable doubt, because can we really be sure, especially with these nice doctors talking to you from the stand, about how he may well have died as a result of all these other factors? What is your handicap of that kind of presentation by the defense? Uh, do you think that there was any way uh, that a, a rational jury could have stroked their chin and said, oh, you know what, uh, yeah, it does kind of come up to reasonable doubt, or at least it kicks it down to manslaughter, but they weren't buying it. They just stuck with murder. Well, I, I am not an attorney, Royal, um, and I can't, you know, it's hard for me to put myself in the position of the jury, but I can say that absent the video, all of those things may have held more sway. Um, there's no question George Floyd was not the paragon of good health. Uh, he was a longtime drug abuser. He had hypertension and enlarged heart, clearly evidence of cardiovascular disease. Um, and those things likely did contribute uh, to the fact that he was not he's not an 18 year old track star. All of that said, we have a video that shows him being put in a compromised position. And positional asphyxia can overtake and come anyone. The, the fact that someone can be put in a position where they are not able to draw an adequate breath, that can happen to a healthy 18-year-old with no cardiac issues or to somebody who is uh, somewhat compromised like George Floyd. Uh, the issue is, I think, that the jury... Uh, looked at the duration of that film and the duration of the time that George Floyd was telling the officer, telling uh, Derek Chauvin that he couldn't breathe and did not 
appear to be fighting. It, it appeared that the force being used or keeping him in that compromised position uh, was unnecessary, that, that uh, George Floyd, again, regardless of how you feel about George Floyd the man, it did not appear that he was fighting back while he was being kept in that compromised position. Uh, we know from uh, many, many cases, tragic cases in the military and through law enforcement, and I'm a huge defender of law enforcement in general, but I have to say we know from previous episodes that when people are put in compromised positions, they can get into trouble from a respiratory perspective. And the same thing happens, by the way, in hospitals. It is not uncommon for a patient to become aggressive or violent or unruly in the emergency department. Uh, and there are generally law enforcement available who, in conjunction with medical staff, will put a patient into a position to subdue them. And we have to be very, very careful that we don't extend beyond the limits and put that person in a position uh, where they could suffer uh, from asphyxia. And so as soon as they stop fighting, we immediately turn them over, sit them up, and make sure that they are able to breathe adequately. Let me give you the, the specific argument made by the defense in the final argument and get your take on it and kind of you know pretend you were in the jury and they look to you and they say, well, Dr. Victor, you're a doctor. You help us out with this. It's what I call the 66-second argument. So you got nine and a half minutes of uh, Chauvin putting his knee on, on George Floyd's neck. And for the vast bulk of the nine and a half minutes, George Floyd is breathing quite well because he is yelling and talking and screaming and saying he can't breathe um, and, and protesting, but he certainly is taking breaths because he's able to speak. And in fact, some of the cops say, hey, it sounds like you can breathe okay to me, George. You know, it takes a lot of breath to talk. You know, didn't exactly sound good to the jury. So here comes the 66-second argument. We know that George Floyd uttered his last words uh, sometime in the eight, eighth minute. No more words after that. We know from, from the medical evaluation and the tape that it appears that he uh, was unconscious uh, uh, about 66 seconds after that, after uttering his last words. The defense looked at the jury in the final argument and they said, ladies and gentlemen, you heard some medical testimony. And the medical testimony was that there are two ways you can die. One is you just don't have enough air. And another way is uh, you have a situation where you uh, have, a, have a different condition. Um, you, you, have, you have an arrhythmia. You have a heart attack. You have a collapse of your cardiovascular system that could be brought on by all sorts of things. And I'm here to tell you, the doctor said, in 66 seconds, you're not going to die from just lack of air because there was a knee on the neck. But you can die in 66 seconds. You can pass out after uttering your last words as a result of the arrhythmia, the heart shutting down, the heart, a heart attack, and so on. Anything to that? Clearly, the jury didn't buy that. From your perspective, uh, again, as you say, you're not a lawyer, and but if you were on the jury and they were looking to you for some expertise... Would you say there was any way they could sink their teeth into that argument and say, oh, this kind of translates to reasonable doubt? No, I, I think that they could have, Royal. And I think that's the issue is that there's no question from a medical perspective that that exact thing that you're laying out could have happened, that uh, he could have simply succumbed after um, all this period of time to his cardio underlying cardiovascular disease. 
The problem is, I think, that when combined with that video, where it, it makes it appear so clearly that Derek Chauvin uh, was callous and uncaring and simply not paying attention to George Floyd's pleas for breath, that I think it made it very, very difficult for the jurors to see beyond that. Um, and as I said, absent the video, I think this would have turned out very, very differently because you are quite right. You could lay out a number of different scenarios from a medical perspective that would have been plausible. But that video and, frankly, the, the look on Derek Chauvin's face during the video and the even the behavior of the accompanying police officers, I believe, was so damning that it made it very difficult for people to see anything other than that. Um, so, yes, it is certainly possible uh, that George Floyd just ended up having a heart attack and that he or that the fentanyl kicked in. All of a sudden, uh, after he'd been screaming for all that time, all of a sudden the fentanyl kicked in and he became somnolent uh, and started to become unconscious and then had a uh, respiratory a depression from the narcotics. Those things are all plausible, but I think it was darn hard for any reasonable jury to see that given what the, the parents on the video. Yeah, no, I agree. I mean, when you just think back on it, and, you know, it's, it's easy to have hindsight, but I mean, to overcome that video and overcome the idea that, that Derek uh, Chauvin didn't basically follow police procedures because, you know, the police procedures provide for a few different things. Number one, you're supposed to turn the body uh, on its side to assist the breathing process if you have breathing difficulties. And number two, you're supposed to administer CPR as promptly as possible. And uh, he didn't do that. He didn't do either one of those things. Uh, in your medical opinion, you think those were pretty good factors in terms of things that he could have done that actually would have saved George Floyd's life? Oh, I think there's no question in the bottom. And that's the, the point is that you know, this is a guy who told you he took fentanyl. You knew he was a drug user. When he all of a sudden goes from, you know, yelling and screaming, I can't breathe, to absolutely quiet and not moving, that's the time when you jump up, you roll him over, if he hadn't done it before, and say, what's going on? Uh, and the fact that that didn't happen, I think, was very, very damning. There's no question, even if Derek Chauvin hadn't, you know, intended to do something um, to George Floyd, hadn't intended to harm him, at the time that the individual stops speaking, stops, you know, moving, you are obligated absolutely to check and see, is this person in extremis? Is this person suffering? Is this person, you know, struggling? And am I missing something? Um, there have been many cases where the person uh, is actually a diabetic and has a low blood sugar and is acting erratically. And all, all of a sudden, when they stop moving, you say, oh, my gosh, they weren't just being violent. This person has a medical condition. But the fact that neither Derek Chauvin nor the accompanying officers chose to do that, I think, really sounded their death knell. 
We're talking with Dr. Kelly Victory, trauma surgeon and mass casualty expert. You can reach her at Dr. Kelly Victory on uh, Twitter. Last medical question for you. You know, the defense kind of made an effort to have sort of a double-barreled argument. Gee, uh, George Floyd had COVID, and while he engaged in this long 10-minute fight, a really physical fight with the cops over whether he should get into the car and so on, any chance that there would be a medical basis for arguing, well, gee, with that, those two things going on, plus all the other stuff about the heart and the drugs and so on, any chance of justifying a reasonable doubt argument uh, as opposed to simply saying it was the knee on the neck? Uh, not, not if I were on the jury or if I was asked as a witness in the case, uh, Royal, because uh, George Floyd had no signs um, or symptoms of COVID. He had a, quote, positive COVID test, which anyone who follows me knows uh, has been much of the reason we've been um, it's sort of sucked into the vortex of this pandemic. Um, having a positive test means nothing uh, in the absence of any signs or symptoms of the illness. And uh, no one had reported that George Floyd had been ill with COVID uh, in the days preceding this. So I think that would be a, a pretty big leap to try to connect the dots that COVID had anything to do with his death. All right, Dr. Kelly Victory, thanks for sharing your thoughts. Uh, we'll check in with you again. Uh, appreciate it. And uh, if you'd like to join the conversation, 1-800-222-KABC, 1-800-222-5222. If you'd like to weigh in on whether justice was served by the verdict in Minneapolis today and whether you think a fair trial was even possible, given the enormity of the publicity and the public attitudes, and uh, would you be surprised if uh, perhaps there uh, is some trouble in terms of reaction in the streets to this verdict? 1-800-222-KABC. I'm Royal Oaks. This is KABC. Stay with us. 626 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC. Royal Oaks in for Michael Knowles this evening talking about the Derek Chauvin verdict out of Minnesota, guilty on all counts uh, in the death of George Floyd, sentencing in a couple of months. Uh, the judge is likely to give him about 15 years on the, uh, the most serious count of murder in the second degree, known as felony murder. He did not intend to kill, is the allegation, but he was in the commission of a, a felony, namely assaulting uh, George Floyd illegally and somebody died. Therefore, you are guilty of a felony a murder. 1-800-222-KABC is the number. 1-800-222-5222. Let's go to Sean in Los Angeles. Uh, welcome to KABC. Good evening, Laurel. I've been following you since the old J trial, sir. Well, thank you. Um, Appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. A couple of statements. Um, I'm a retired policeman. I served two departments uh, here in the Southern California area. And uh, I was never taught in the, the defensive tactics or offensive tactics to arrest somebody. I was never taught to put a knee on, a knee on someone's neck. Um, that was verboten. You didn't do that. If you did that, you got to fail, and you were immediately remedialized. Uh, the second thing is I was surprised the defense and the prosecution didn't bring up the fact that Chauvin and Floyd knew each other from the nightclub they used to work at. And I thought that was interesting too, Sean, because you know a lot of people who did hear that said, hey, there was some history between these two guys, and that might have... Uh, caused Chauvin to uh, to be vindictive against him. But for whatever reason, I think the prosecution didn't figure that they had enough going on that argument because I don't think they raised it at all. 
Yeah, you're exactly right. But I think that uh, the other uh, mistake was also the change of venue. It should have demanded a change of venue regarding the change of venue. Yeah, the defense asked for it, but the judge said, you know what, I see publicity everywhere, uh, and I just don't think it's going to be much different elsewhere. I think that was a mistake because I think there would have been a lower risk uh, of uh, jury intimidation. Uh, On your first point, Sean, you know, it's funny, the defense argued that police practices do permit subduing somebody with your body, but they didn't really have anything that explicitly said it's okay to put your knee on a neck. I mean, it does sound really dangerous. Uh, They had evidence that there was no particular bruising on the neck, but you know, it's, it just clearly wasn't enough for the jury. That was just sort of inside baseball. I think it was all about the last minute or two of that video. Sean, thank you for sharing your thoughts. Let's go to Robert in Los Angeles. You're on KBC. Welcome. Hey, how are you, man? I, I'm a Good. huge fan. Of it. I always listen, uh, listen in when I'm driving from work and whatnot. And so I just had to, like, call in and uh, give my thoughts. But call me crazy. Just call me crazy. Do you think You're crazy. That, uh, yeah, there you go. Uh, do you think uh, he was convicted uh, today just to protect the city from all this unrest and the riots whatnot? I cannot imagine that that wasn't in the minds of every single juror. I mean, what are they, robots? Do they care nothing about the safety of themselves personally and their families and, and the city? I mean, the fact of the matter is, you know, having seen the video a hundred times and watched a good chunk of the trial, I would have voted guilty. Uh, you know, I, I'd have to be a juror to know which of the charges, I guess. But, right, right. but you know, it's not an ideal situation when people are, are, are worried about that. And Maxine Waters does not help. I mean, where in the world did she come up with the idea of coming out, flying to Minneapolis, and saying to people, I want you to protest, I want you to confront people in the streets, I want a guilty verdict. Excuse me? Ms. Waters, stay out of it. They don't need your help. And even President Biden, I mean, coming out this morning and essentially saying in so many words, he's praying for a murder conviction. Well, I can say this because I know they're sequestered, so they won't know what their president. I don't know if you remember... Robert, but years ago, Richard Nixon got into hot water because he said, I think Charlie Manson's guilty during the trial. And Manson got a hold of a headline, the LA Times, that says, Nixon colon, Manson guilty. And he waved it in front of the jury, and he tried to get a mistrial. I mean, lots of weird things uh, go on in the court system. But Maxine Waters, uh, you know, she she belongs in the Hall of Fame in terms of of weird comments about this. Robert, thank you so much for sharing your thoughts. It is 6.30 on Talk Radio 790-KABC. I'm Royal Oaks. Please stick around uh, for after the headlines. We're going to get more into your calls. 1-800-222-KABC with your thoughts on the Derek Chauvin verdict. Stick with us. 6.35 6.35 the time, Talk Radio 790-KABC. Royal Oaks in for Michael Knowles this Tuesday evening. Our number, 1-800-222-KABC. If you'd like to weigh in on the Derek Chauvin verdict, guilty on all charges in, in the death of George Floyd in Minnesota. We've been talking about a couple of things. Was justice served by this verdict? I think most people are, are supportive of it, although some people have said maybe not the, the top charge of, of felony murder, murder in the second degree, maybe should have been manslaughter. What's your take on that? The other issue uh, was a fair trial even possible given the climate there in Minnesota. A lot of people thought that the trial should have been shipped out of that community. A couple of other angles we can talk about. Uh, What about cameras in the courtroom? I've been a big advocate for years of cameras in the courtroom. 
But some people think uh, maybe that just added fuel to the fire in terms of the controversy. Uh, Perhaps the judge should have turned that request down. And what's the result of this? A lot of people are talking about systemic racism and racist cops defunding the police. A lot of people have been saying defund the police or seriously slash their budget, just give it to social workers. Is this going to add support to that argument? 1-800-222-KABC. 1-800-222-5222 if you'd like to weigh in with your thoughts. Let's go to the phones. Bob in Los Angeles, you're on KBC. Welcome. Hi, yeah, I, uh, Royal, I think he should have been acquitted based on the initial doc, uh, autopsy that he did not die by strangulation. Number one. Number two, I think you should get a mistrial because, um, Max, at least because of Maxine Waters' remarks which obviously intimidated the juror, jury. And three, um, from the camp body cam of the uh, of Officer Chauvin, it appeared that his knee was on his shoulder and not on his neck. I can't yeah, you know, all of, all of those issues... Trial. Yeah, all those issues were raised by the defense for whatever reason. The jury wasn't buying it, and of course, you know, we'll probably see them on uh, on Good Morning America or uh, CBS Morning News or whatever and, and have them explain themselves. On your first point about uh, the fact that the uh, medical examiner uh, found that he uh, uh, did not support the prosecution's case, that was a really interesting issue, and, and it, was, it was a problem uh, that, as you know, Bob, the prosecution had to grapple with because the medical examiner was the one and only guy that conducted the autopsy. He was the medical examiner for the county, and he did not support the prosecution's theory that it was a lack of oxygen. I think probably what helped them was the parade of additional doctors who, who rolled in into court and testified to the jury that, in fact, they felt that it was the knee on the neck that uh, that killed him, that it was a lack of oxygen that killed him, and they, they poo-pooed the idea that uh, drug abuse or, or the heart problems uh, was the cause. Person, yeah, I understand, but if the first doctor whose job it is is to decide how the cause of death was, if that's not reasonable doubt that two doctors could disagree, professional witnesses or witnesses with an axe to grind, I understand one of them said they're testifying for free, but obviously, if they're testifying for free, they're still biased. I mean, he had to go out and get external. The prosecutor had to go out and get external. Not to mention the the, uh, the intimidation of the jury, which existed before Maxine Watchers. Jurors re- didn't want to get on because they were afraid. Which juror, after getting a bloody head pig, which witness got the bloody head pig? I don't know. Was it the uh, defense uh, expert? Yeah, one of the defense experts um, at an address where he used to live, obviously somebody with a, a dead pig they didn't know what to do with, uh, found out this address was connected with the name of the witness. They show up and they, they smear the blood and they did it at a, at a second location as well. Oh, absolutely. I mean, this is no way to run a railroad. You cannot have a fair outcome. I mean, just think, I mean, if people don't like the police, just think, how would you feel if a family member of yours, one of your loved ones, was on trial and the jury 
was worried about their own personal safety and the safety and life of the community members if they didn't vote guilty. Would you be happy with that? Of course you wouldn't. You can simultaneously recognize that at the same time feeling, okay, we have a problem with systemic racism, we have a problem with police brutality. As to the degree and nature of that problem and the solution, let's have a debate, but let's not have any jury verdict dictated by fear and intimidation. And the irresponsibility of somebody like Maxine Waters wading in, I mean, who invited her to fly to Minneapolis to have a press conference to tell people to be confrontational, to protest in the streets, to don't take it lying down if there isn't an absolute murder verdict? I mean, it was totally irresponsible. And yet, do you see any repercussions to her? No. Her pals in the House of Representatives tabled tabled the motion to censure uh, and, and criticize her in Congress today. They didn't even want to bring it up. And Nancy Pelosi said, I 100% support what Maxine said. It was really amazing. Yeah, they they um, just impeached a, a, a president for um, for similar for what they claimed was similar conduct, and she used the exact words to incite a riot at the in the middle of a, a cindiary situation. But basically, getting back to the initial, there was no actual evidence of causation other than the subsequent. That first expert should have knocked it out in a fair trial. Um, and that, and then that's comment of Maxine Waters should have been a mistrial. Now, was he right in putting his knee on his neck? You know, that's a whole nother thing. But the, the key is not whether he was a mean person, which is how the prosecution tried it, was whether or not that was the actual cause of the death, period, because he was charged with murder. So if you don't cause the murder, you can't be guilty of murder. Every, and there was also no evidence of racism. Might have been He might have done the same thing to any race. So they played it as a race, as a they really played the race card and the entire trial before that, including Keith Elbelson, who came in and took over. Usually only take that over as I think from what I've read, unless there's some evidence of bias at the local level. He was the first one up with the press conference to take credit for it. That's also from what I've seen on TV untypical. Usually the, the trial lawyer does. And I actually, as much as I respect the, the uh, defense lawyer who really, you know, uh, stuck his neck out, no pun intended, He, uh, I don't think he was as aggressive um, in his demeanor and the way he tried to, you know, tried the case as he could have been because he primarily argued against the body of evidence versus causation. Although you say it was brought out, I didn't watch the whole trial. Hey, Bob, we appreciate you sharing your thoughts. And, uh, you know, Bob's point about the mistrial, that ship has kind of sailed. But the appeal could be based on the idea of excessive publicity. Even the judge yesterday said Maxine Waters may have given the defense an appeal argument if there is a conviction. If you'd like to join the conversation, 1-800-222-KABC, 1-800-222-5222. We're talking about the Derek Chauvin verdict, of course. When do we come back? Your calls plus uh, my co-host on our podcast, Too Many Lawyers, would like to weigh in on this situation as well. We'll welcome him and your calls here on KABC. Stay with us. Talk Radio. 790 KABC time, 646. I'm Roy Oaks in for Michael Knowles. Talking about the Derek Chauvin verdict, 1-800-222-KABC is the number if you'd like to join us. And uh, we've got a few folks uh, lined up uh, wanting to uh, chat about uh, the situation. Um, let's go to Kevin in Los Angeles. You're on Talk Radio 790. How you doing, sir? I have a question. Uh, I'm an African-American. I'm 54 years old. And for me, to, I'm, I'm sitting there listening to your callers, and you, sir, 
should be ashamed of yourselves. First of all, that's number one. Oh, well, explain why. I'm all ears. Let me finish. Let me finish. Let me finish. I'm letting you finish. I'm inviting you to explain why I should be ashamed of myself. You interrupted me, sir. I was trying to finish, but you interrupted me because you guys sound like you have a problem with what happened on today's verdict. This man. Did you say I would have voted guilty? I can't finish. I can't. It's sad. You you got the floor. Go ahead. It's sworn in to protect the to protect human beings, sir. He chose to not have a paramedic look at this man. What I don't understand. What is it that you guys? You know what I'm saying? And then what makes you so? Why are you so problematic with Maxine Waters? She just made a statement. She hasn't even said anything about the whole case the whole time. All of a sudden, everybody's in an uproar about Maxine Waters. She had every right to speak on it. After all the injustice that goes on in this country, you can't have it all yours. It's not all yours. This country does not belong to you. It's for everybody. And once you learn that, you wouldn't have that mentality, sir. One of these days, we're all going to have to go see our maker. And you're going to have to answer to that. Every one of your callers, that guy that called in just a few seconds ago, the police officer, all of them. I, it's just crazy. I, I, I can't believe what I'm hearing. Kevin, he I got exactly you don't want any violence to occur, right? I, I, is that about the size of it? You don't want any violence to occur? Well, I'm just going to give him the benefit of the doubt and assume that that was the case. Uh, let's go to Butch in Culver City. Butch, you're on KBC. Welcome. Hey, how's it going? Very good. Hey, listen, uh, we, we were talking about the, the verdict and, and this and that, but, um, you know, and I even reflect on the Rodney King uh, situation to where, okay, Rodney King won a civil suit, which means something went wrong, but still justice, you know, and the verdict uh, was, was kind of twinkled. So my thing about this is until America understands, um, you know, the basic, you know, American uh, police, say, for instance, understand you have to treat people no matter what. The, the cops are not there to they're, – they're there to protect the public. They're there to uh, uh, apprehend suspects that may be doing wrong. They're not, they're not there to be so intimidated that they end up killing a black man. Uh, you know, for something he did wrong. So my thing is, we can talk, we can go around all day about the verdict and what happened in the verdict and this and that. And uh, I'm a 62 year old black man. I grew up in South Central Los Angeles. We 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 started being afraid of the police at eight and nine years old, not because of what somebody inbred it in us, but it's what we saw and heard and and, and saw how the police treated us from way back then. So what I'm saying is until the police say, hey, maybe we need training on how to apprehend a black man. And, and it's like a slave mentality, uh, 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 like the master. As slaves, we had to do whatever he wanted us to do because he was the master. So when, when somebody puts on that badge and, and, and demands a black person do exactly what they tell them to do, that's wrong. You know, did you see the thing with the soldier? Did you see the thing, how the cop uh, uh, pepper sprayed that soldier? If I was a president no. of the United States, I would have been so upset. Because oh, yes, I did see that story. The soldier who was actually in uniform. Yeah, no, yeah. you're right. Cop, Butch, Butch, I agree with everything you say. Yeah, listen, I got you. I got you. I just got to get this out. Soon as that yeah. guy saw, soon as that cop saw that this was an American soldier, he should have said, okay, in his mind, 
Well, he can't be doing too much wrong. You know what I'm saying? Before the guy. Yeah, give him the benefit of the doubt. Sure. So what I'm saying is, and if you watch cops, watch cops sometimes. They don't treat when they apprehend a white suspect. They don't. They don't. They. They don't. You know, I've seen videos where a guy, a, a white guy, stab a cop in the neck, take his billy club, hit him, and then take the police car, drive up. He's not getting shot at. So my basic thing is, and 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 and, and, and white people that you 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 have got no idea. You have so if you don't have any idea, don't be, don't rationalize the fact that oh, black people are tripping about this idea about cops. Me as a black man growing up black, I'm letting you know now there is a difference. You know, so with with this for this thing to happen, okay, uh, Mr. Chauvin. Hey, you you just like uh, 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 Floyd was an innocent victim. You know what I mean? I'm not saying Chauvin is an innocent victim, but it gotta stop somewhere. Somewhere. No, I hear I hear you, Butch. Listen, and thank you for your call. Let me tell you that you and I are on the same wavelength in the sense that I agree with the verdict. I agree we ought to fire bad cops. I agree we ought to change uh, bad police procedures. I just don't want any decisions made by any jurors in a climate of intimidation. That's my problem with it. Hey, let's go to Connor. Connor is my son and my co-host on our podcast, Too Many Lawyers. So, Connor, what you're saying here is that I, I not only have to put up with your progressive views during the podcast, in contrast to my uh, libertarian views, but now I, I have to put up with them on the air on KBC as well? I think we even each other out, Royal. I think you're right. So what's your take on the verdict, Con? My take is that we need an alternative perspective. We often get the perspective, the one that you're providing, which is that the jurors may have been intimidated by the fear of an angry mob if a verdict had gone the other way. I think we need to examine that and realize that that fear of fear is in fact a manifestation of a bias because we never think about the other side of things. I, and many people like me, would have lived in fear had the verdict come out the other way, not because of a potential riot, but because of the potential actions of police officers who see a murder committed live on camera and realize, ah, you're right, the system won't convict me. I won't be held accountable. This verdict was important not because uh, of just the officer in front of us, it was important because it provides accountability and assurance that at least sometimes this system can work. And so when we say, well, what if these jurors were intimidated by this possible, a possible you know, riot had the, the verdict on the other way? What if the jurors are intimidated by the fact that police brutality might have continued unabated if it had not gone this way? I mean, we need to examine why people make the decisions that they make, of course, but we need to know exactly what we talk about when we say things like jury tampering or tainting a jury pool or intimidating witnesses or the jury. That didn't happen in this case. The judge agreed it didn't happen in this case. He basically said, take it up on appeal, buddy. He used strong words, harsh words about, you know, specifically Maxine Waters in this case, who I absolutely do not believe anything Maxine Waters said uh, arose, to, arose to the level of you know, voter, uh, witness intimidation in this case. She simply went out there to support a political movement that's on the ground, who's protesting for advancement and progress in, this, in our society. And she echoed a lot of the language that people have used all throughout American history about fighting for your rights and, 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 and getting in people's faces and, and making positive change. 
And that, of course, was blown out of proportion by the media that wants to, you know, turn this into a story about, oh, my gosh, maybe something will be turned over on appeal. Look, the idea that you're going to get a set of 12 jurors who don't know anything about police brutality in this country is crazy. The idea that you could move this jury out of town and, you know, have them be outside the bounds of Minnesota, maybe even, who knows, no matter where you go, unless you end up in a cave, you're going to end up with jurors who understand that cops disproportionately uh, stop, uh, arrest, harass, and rough up and even kill people of color in this country. And well, no I, hear you, I hear you, Connor, and I, I, I understand your manifestation of bias theory. I just worry about, about anybody suffering an, an unjust result. And if you, as my son, were accused of blowing up the Eiffel Tower while you're on a trip to, uh, to Paris, and you didn't do it, but sure. doggone it, everybody in Paris thinks you did, and they say, we're going to burn down the Arc de Triomphe if Connor isn't convicted, would you blame me for worrying that, doggone it, that French jury, they are not going to treat the Connor fairly, they are going to convict him <laughs> because they don't want to lose their Arc de Triomphe. Is that unreasonable? That's not unreasonable at all in the Paris context or even in other contexts. You're right that that is the analogy that we should be using. That's a good one. But we do have to understand, you know, the, the terms that we use when we say jury tampering or, or jury intimidation. Did anything anybody say arise to that level? Really? I mean, are we talking about intimidation in the sense that people are saying, look, if, if we don't get justice for George Floyd, then we're not going to get justice for the next guy. That's well, I'll tell you what, saying. Connor, they're we've run out of time, but I, I, I am going to give you an opportunity to expand on this on the next ish episode of Too Many Lawyers, which we'll tape this weekend. Thank you so much for calling in. It's 6.56, Talk Radio 790, KABC, Royal Oaks. In for Michael Knowles, our number 1-800-222-KABC. Stick with us. 7.05, the time, Talk Radio 790, KABC. Royal Oaks, your host, uh, Carolyn Kay, Save the USA, usually on KBC at this time. Uh, they're going to be here next hour, but we did want to spend uh, one more hour on the Derek Chauvin verdict. And we welcome your calls, 1-800-222-KABC. And thanks to KBC for uh, running my one-minute spot called It's the Law. You can check it out. Uh, it's streaming on KABC.com along with a lot of other terrific stuff on the website. And check out our podcast, Too Many Lawyers. If you heard at the end of last hour, my son Connor Oaks uh, was on. He and I do the podcast, Too Many Lawyers, wherever you get your shows. And as you uh, as you heard, uh, he's kind of a, a progressive. I'm kind of a libertarian, so we mix it up and um, hopefully come to some sort of a respectful conclusion on the podcast. So we are discussing the uh, the verdict, all three counts. Uh, the jury unanimously found Derek Chauvin guilty. So he's looking at up to 40 years in prison just on the most serious count, although the sentencing guidelines would suggest he'd get something closer to 15 years. We are delighted to have on the program right now our friend Dennis Zine, former city council member and Los Angeles Police Department Sergeant. Dennis, uh, it's always good to talk to you. Welcome to the program. My pleasure. I understand you just said the progressive, your son, you're a libertarian. I am a realist when it comes to politics. A realist. That new category, a realist, the real world. You should moderate the podcast thing then, I think, because. Uh, and now you called him progresso just a minute ago. I think, isn't that an Italian sauce? Uh, you probably meant, I guess, you meant to I say. I guess I'm going to have Italian. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, gosh, every time we talk on the radio, Dennis, it seems like something you know really amazing and cataclysmic and so on is happening. And I guess depending on your point of view, probably most people, if you were to take a Gallup poll, most people would say, yeah, we think uh, we think Derek Chauvin committed a crime. And so uh, we, we're kind of OK with with the conviction, maybe not necessarily all all three, including the two murder counts. Um, I'm interested in uh, whether you were surprised at the verdict and, and what your opinion of the verdict is. Well, I was not surprised with the verdict. I, in my over 50 years with law enforcement, uh, the certain tactics and procedures, uh, I joined the Los Angeles Police Department in 1968. We never had a procedure where we'd uh, put our knee, our foot, anything on a person's neck. We used to have the modified bar arm takeout and control, basically a chokehold. Uh, that modified over the years, where that's only used in a life and death situation, but never a tactic where you had a person on the ground, especially handcuffed. I mean, once they're handcuffed, there's not much that they can do. Their capacity is very limited. So it didn't surprise me, the verdict. And I, what really troubled me, though, is how from New York to California, there's this fear factor where buildings are boarded up, people are afraid, gun stores sell out of ammo and guns. I mean, we can't react this way every time a situation takes place. And hopefully procedures and tactics and supervision will be modified. I know they want to modify law enforcement, law enforcement, professional law enforcement officers will do what they're trained to do. And then it's up to supervision to make sure they comply with the direction that the department administers. In this particular case, you saw the chief of the department testify saying this was inappropriate. You saw other members of the department testify is inappropriate. So what you have is a situation where a 19 year veteran who basically threw everything away in his life for whatever reason, and then you had the spectators that were watching this horrific situation where they actually saw a person die at the hands of law enforcement there on a city street. I mean, it, it was it was traumatic, uh, but the, the verdict was appropriate. The reaction for the public is like, okay, now they're not going to burn down the city. Now they're going to loot the stores. Uh, we, we can't have a situation because there's other cases coming up where you have controversial deaths at the hands of law enforcement. Fortunately, thank God, nothing in Los Angeles. And what happens when we have to resort to this board of the buildings, Beverly Hills, let's barricade the roadways, let's bring out the National Guard. I mean, we have to have a system where we can trust the police doing their job in a professional manner and respect for everyone, and a court system, a judicial system, and I thought the judge was wonderful in this particular case. I thought the judge handled it very, very well and have an appropriate system where everybody, black, white, gay, straight, it doesn't matter. But in America, we're supposed to be all equal, and the system's supposed to be just for everyone. Hopefully, we can accomplish that, and then we don't have to live in fear. Where I was at a gun store yesterday uh, talking to the owner, and she was selling out of guns and ammo. I said, wow, this is crazy. But people are frightened. We can't live in this environment because there will be controversial situations. But let's have some trust and confidence in the system, the system meaning the law enforcement system, as well as the courts. That justification, the administration of laws, you know, as an attorney, you know that there's right and wrong. Police officers know there's right and wrong. And a situation that we now in law enforcement, we're a body cam. So we can justify. They had them in the cars. Now they put them on the uniform. So to justify, to show exactly what the officers did and engaged in that particular activity. So times are changing, but we can't live in constant fear of buildings being burned and businesses being looted, as we've seen happen here in this Los Angeles area and in other parts of, uh, of the United States of America. So things need to change. But I thought the verdict was appropriate. 
uh, what happens with the sentencing that comes up. I hope we don't have to go into the same mode when the sentencing comes around. I mean, he's going to get a lot of time in prison, and I would not want to be a police officer in prison charged with what he's charged with because we know prisoners in jail watch TV, read newspapers. It's not going to be a comfortable place for uh, for the former police officer to uh, to be incarcerated and for maybe 40, 50 years, whatever, whatever his life expectancy is going to be. We're talking with Dennis Sign. So, Dennis, how did we get to this point where some people in society feel it's okay to react with violence to things that you don't agree with? Now, obviously, you know, kind of you kind of alluded to the Rodney King riots in uh, in the early 1990s, and right. there was a lot of unhappiness with the Simi Verde, Valley verdict in favor of the cops in that first trial. And, of course, we know right. in the second trial in federal court they were convicted. And right. all right, so so that happened. It seems like it's gotten worse, and and I'm thinking maybe it's fueled by the idea that some people believe in that, you know, for example, somebody who differs with you and and speaks and and expresses an opinion is di- it's different from yours, and it's the equivalent of violence. It's so bad. It's so unwoke and politically incorrect. It's the equivalent of violence, and therefore. They should not be allowed to speak, and also violence in return, real violence is justified. It seems like a lot of people are moving toward that. How did we get on that road, and how the heck do we reverse it? Well, I think part of it's the respect. I think a part of it's the respect of the family unit. I know you have a son. I have two sons. One's an airline pilot for a major airline. One's with the Los Angeles Police Department, uh, both raised in a family environment to respect the law. Uh, they both went to college, got their degrees. I don't think that happens in all families. If you don't have that background, you have a problem. If you don't have a family environment, you got the problem. But the other thing that I really really troubles me is if people would simply comply with the direction of an officer. If you look at every single case, the most recent case where the 26-year, 29-year veteran uh, lady police officer uh, fired her weapon instead of a taser. Now, that was obviously not intended. Nevertheless, it happened. There's no excuse for that, and she'll go to prison, I'm sure. But what about your obligation as a citizen to comply with the direction of a police officer? I don't care if they stop you for expired registration or a uh, fragrance thing hanging from your mirror. It doesn't matter. There's an obligation to comply with that. In the situation we saw, again, we got the video, the body cam from the officer, where the individual jumps back in his car, and if he hadn't have done that, nothing would have happened. So there is an obligation by the people who get stopped by the police, whether you think the stop is justified or not. It's all captured on the body cam, because most agencies now wear body cams. And if you want to make a complaint, make a complaint, and they can see exactly what's happening. But there is an obligation and a responsibility, and it's codified in the law, that you should cooperate when an officer does his or her job. You may not agree with the stop. You may not agree with anything. But what is happening in these situations, it's the resistance. It's the obstruction of letting the police officer do the job because these officers don't want to get involved in these situations. They don't want to be charged with murder or charged with a crime and lose everything that they've ha- they have, everything that they've worked for, especially when you're over 20 years on law enforcement or 19 years, as we see in the particular case today. But simply comply with the direction and you don't have these problems. That's what's so simple. And it is the law. You should not obstruct, resist, or delay a police officer in the performance of their duty. But people resist, they obstruct, they delay, and then the officer uses force and tragedies occur. We could avoid all that. Simply cooperate. Call a supervisor. 
to the scene. Get your video camera out. I mean, there's all kinds of protections you have now that you didn't have before. But again, the officer is documenting everything on the body cam, whether it's the cam in the car or the one that the officer's wearing. So we forget about that part of the citizen's obligation, whether it's a legitimate stop or not. It's recorded. If you want to make a complaint, make a complaint. But when you start to resist, then all of a sudden the officer is going to counter that. They're not just going to fold their arms and say, okay, take off, goodbye. I don't care if it's expired registration or whatever the excuse they stopped you for. And again, it's against the law for a police officer to stop a person just because the way they look. You've got to have cause. You've got to have a reason to stop. You can't just arbitrarily, well, this is an African-American, or this is a Latino, or this is a gay, or this is a this, or this is a that. You've got to have justification. If you don't, that officer is breaking the law. And if those situations take place, you can report that. They can do an investigation. And if that's the case, that person does not belong in law enforcement. Again, we recruit from the human race. And oftentimes, there's problems when we recruit from the human race, but there's no one else. There's nowhere else we're going to recruit. We're not going to go to another planet and recruit. But, but we don't have robot we, cops yet. <laughs> we don't have them. They're working on it, but we don't have them. And I know in my career of over 50 years, uh, I had situations. They haven't gotten into deadly situations, but simply cooperate. I found that as the simplest solution. And if the person did something wrong, okay, if we can work it out, work it out. But you're going to find police officers, and I believe what's going to happen is they're going to start not reacting. They're going to retract. They're not going to make the stop. They're going to take their time getting to the call. And then the people are going to be in jeopardy. We know the murder rate's going up throughout the country. We know last year in Los Angeles, the murder rate was higher than it was in the last 10 years. So we know there's a problem with crime. We want police officers to arrest bad guys. But you just can't have a guy that counters, okay, there's a bad guy, there's a bad guy, there's a bad guy. It doesn't work that way. But simply, if you don't resist, if you don't try to jump back in your car, if you don't run away, there won't be a problem. I mean, we forget to acknowledge the person's responsibility when they're stopped. And that is a foundation of law enforcement. It's in the books. It's a codified section that you have to comply. And what happened with Mr. Floyd? Did he comply? Well, he complied to a certain extent in the initial stops. It was a counterfeit bill. So we went, oh, it's only 20 counterfeit bill. Oh, it's only this. Oh, it's only that. Well, officers enforce the law when there's a violation. And what we find is oftentimes there's excuses for that. But let the police officer do their job. No one gets hurt. The officer goes home. You go to jail or you go home or you get a ticket or whatever it is. And now people say officers who are involved in traffic enforcement shouldn't carry a gun. And I advocate if you want to take away the traffic enforcement, people can constantly complain about speeders and reckless drivers and all the horrendous accidents that occur on the roadway. If you want to stop that, then why don't we use new technology? They now have technology in California's doing some legislation to authorize this, you can put up not only a camera at a signal when you blow the red light, but they have speed cameras. They can put speed cameras on all the locations where people are speeding. Now you're going to get a citation every single time. I mean, going through a red light's over $300. Going through a photo red light's like $500. Can you imagine every time you run down the street and you're going over 10 miles of speed limit or five or whatever they want to set it for, you're going to get a citation in the mail? I mean, do we want that as a society? That technology takes over and you can't like talk your way out or negotiate your way out or do whatever. I mean, we want to come to a situation where we can deal with people in a, in a manner that's respectable and the people need to respect the law and comply and we can avoid a lot of the problems. Now, you're an attorney who handles cases and I'm sure that you've seen justice here and sometimes you question justice there. But the fact is, it's not a perfect system, but we have to work towards making it as perfect as it can be for everyone 
And that's what society demands, whether you're African-American or Latino. And I know some groups in our society don't have the same advantages. My daddy was a gardener. I didn't come from wealth. I didn't come from fame or fortune. My daddy was a gardener. And God bless him. He passed away. But he instilled in me, get an education and do something right. And I'm very beneficial for that. And my life has been positive for that. But the family environment also is critical. A lot of these people getting involved don't have the family background, the family environment, the family nurturing. And uh, fortunately, in my case with my sons and your case with yours, uh, it's worked out that way because we care, we love them. And there's a lot of dysfunctional environment that we see around this country. We're talking with Dennis Zine, former city council member and a Los Angeles Police Department sergeant. You said a minute ago, Dennis, uh, that you know we're going to see uh, problems as a result of cops being uh, less willing to do their job. It seems like yes. we're already seeing it. I mean, you alluded to the fact that the crime statistics are up. And, and you know, people should have the attitude of, of complying with reasonable requests by police. But how do you expect the police to have that attitude when they're leaders? And, you know, I've been beating up on Maxine Waters, but I think she kind of deserves it after flying to Minneapolis the other day and making a speech saying, you know, if there isn't a murder verdict, you get out in the streets and you protest and you confront people. I mean, I don't think your message of reasonableness and complying with appropriate directions by cops, I don't think she would endorse that. Now, I don't know about the president. Maybe he's different. You know, he came out after the jurors were sequestered in Minneapolis, and he announced that he's praying for what clearly was a murder verdict. But, I mean, it seems like we don't have the right message from our leaders. Well, you're absolutely right. And you look at that aspect when elected officials basically counter what's reasonable and logical and common sense that's that's wrong maxine waters has a loud mouth and she's used that and it's interesting when she arrived there she asked for a police escort so she would be protected so she wants the police (laughs) to provide protection for her but to condemn the police and tell the people you know burn down the city if it doesn't work out to the satisfaction of what we can't have it's like the politicians who say let's ban guns but they insist on armed guards when they go here and there Exactly. And and that's not the way we in a civilized society need to be. But I was watching the national news today and everybody was nervous and, oh, they're going to read the verdict. And all of a sudden you see every station in town and all the radio, they're all focused on this. Is this going to happen every time we have a controversial case? But the fact is, if you were a police officer, you're going to start backing off. You're going to say, I got a wife and two kids. I got a mortgage. Do I want to give this all up? because I want to do my job, and somehow I'm going to be, uh, uh, I'm going to be criticized, and I'm going to be ridiculed, and I may be brought up on charges. Do I want to risk everything I've worked for? You know, you got 19 years. you got 25 years. You want to retire and maybe go to a peaceful environment. So what we have is politicians, and you've got a politician in Los Angeles, Mike Bonin, who says the city council is incapable, incapable, that's his quote, of handling the homeless. And then you got the mayor yesterday says, we're going to put a billion dollars toward the homeless. A billion dollars in addition to how much we've already spent. And they haven't done anything to improve the situation in the community or for the homeless. So politicians give a lot of talk. And if you examine how much action from the top, there's very little action and a lot of talk. And I, I was there for 12 years. And when I said something, I delivered. That was one thing that I had to say and did. I delivered for the community of West San Fernando Valley. But now what we see is a real lackadaisical attitude. And everybody has to look at, well, let's put more money. Let's put more money. We have passed measure after measure, more and more money going in to address the homeless. And it has done nothing to reduce the numbers. It's gotten worse. So yesterday, the mayor's speech, 
someone threw a billion dollars in. One yeah, billion no, dollars. it's, it's tr truly amazing. You know, I think, sadly, the answer to your question, and are we always going to be boarding things up, is, yeah, unless something changes, we're going to continue because this is this is a treadmill we're on. And, I I mean, I think it just traces back to, to a sim simple phrase, no justice, no peace. When you say no justice, no peace, what you're saying is there's going to be violence if I don't get the outcome that I think is right, as opposed to, hey, if something goes wrong in our legal system, if there's a bad decision, let's appeal, let's reform, let's fire racist cops, let's do what we need to uh, do to get rid of systemic racism. But the threat of no justice, no peace, that's why everybody's boarding up all around the nation. And I don't know what the answer is. Uh, we, we better come up with an answer quickly, though, because we're going down a real dangerous road. Denny, Dennis Zine, thank you so much for sharing part of your evening with us. Uh, always, always good to talk to you. Thanks. Same to you, Will. Thank you much. Thanks. It's 724 on Talk Radio 790 KABC. I'm Royal Oaks. Carolyn K. Save the USA will be on KBC next hour, but we are devoting this final hour to talking about the Derek Chauvin verdict. If you'd like to weigh in on Dennis Zine's comments or just the issues in general, was justice served in Minnesota? Was there any way they were going to get a fair trial given the intimidation factor? Should we defund the police? As a lot of people are saying, this is step one toward that. Should cameras have been banned from the court? Would that have tamped down the enthusiasm? 1-800-222-KABC is the number. Stick with us. 727 The Time, Talk Radio 790 KABC. Royal Oaks, your host of this hour, Carolyn K. Save the USA will be on KABC next hour. Meantime, we're talking the Derek Chauvin verdict. 1-800-222-KABC. If you'd like to weigh in, let's go to Charlotte in Los Angeles. Welcome to the program. Hello. Yes, I think I, I'm, I'm saddened with all the uh, the, env uh, the environment that the jurors had to perform in. But I was <clears throat> I was hoping that at least one would uh, would be able to speak out and say no, that that that's not right. I mean, anything in, in, involving murder is not is not right, and. Um, I, I just uh, I I think the, the the politicians and the media uh, that, uh, that I do believe uh, the media is the enemy of the people because that you know they 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 put when he, when when it first when the incident first happened they did not show the video where he was resisting so you get all everybody all revved up and talking crazy talk and just you know just listen but these the, you know it's called law enforcement and then they talk only twenty dollars but he he resisted arrest initially and you take all the cases that these people have sought to get change from it started from that person resisting arrest and then the demeaning the, the of the police you have in like in my in in my classroom, people will whisper that they want to become that they want to be in law enforcement. That is that is that is that is sad. And and for these black leaders, not my black leaders, uh, uh, they're not speaking for me at all. These politicians, they have they have sold out the 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 student body because these young people are being adversarial. Uh, 
people just because they are white. That's so ignorant to me. And I, and I verse that, but they, they're not even thinking about the impression that they are having on these young people just to stay in power and to promote a political agenda. And you just ask, okay, who benefits from an uneducated populace? You know, with the school, with not be, being out of school, and, and that home, that distant learning is a disaster. But you, how many people you see uh, that is going against the, un, uh, the union, gives them, who gives them a platform? What part, what media gives them a platform? I, I mean, what I did, I rescinded my membership from the union. I said, I could do that for myself. And I told them, I said, this is ridiculous, playing politics with the student lives. I'm just so disgusted. Listen, that, if that guy had not, had not resisted arrest, he he was uh, he would be alive, or would yes. have died. It, it would have been obvious that he did die from those drugs, because his Charlotte, Charlotte, I, yeah, I just wanted to say I really appreciate your perspective and your sharing. I mean, we've had so much emotion today on, on the show. And you obviously have emotion, but you obviously have intelligence and common sense as well. So I'm, I'm glad everybody could hear your take on this. Uh, there's a lot of wisdom there. You, Thank you so much, and you have a great evening. It is 731 on Talk Radio 790 KABC. I'm Royal Oaks. Uh, after the headlines, we're going to continue with your calls. 1-800-222-KABC. Stick with us. 736 the time. Talk Radio 790 KABC. I'm Royal Oaks. Now, you know Carolyn K. Save the USA is normally on KBC at this time, but it's a big day. We did want to devote one more hour to talking about Derek Chauvin. So Carolyn K. Save the USA will be here after the news at the top of the hour. But meantime, you are the stars of this show. I got to tell you, these last two calls, Dennis Zine and Charlotte of Los Angeles, made so much common sense. This is a challenge for you folks. Can you match their level of excellence? The number 1-800-222-KBC, 1-800-222-5222. So much to think about and talk about, like was justice served in Minnesota today when Officer Derek Chauvin was found guilty unanimously, 12-0, by a jury of all three counts, murder in the second degree, which is felony murder, murder in the third degree, and manslaughter. Okay, if justice was served, was it nonetheless a real uh, head-scratcher as to whether he could have gotten a fair trial, given the climate involved with Maxine Waters talking about how there's going to be trouble in the streets? And on that topic, are you concerned? Are you concerned that every time there's a high-profile trial, if it comes out the way some folks don't like, we're going to see violence in the streets? Is that the way we want to live? 1-800-222-KABC. So to uh, review the bidding, and by the way, uh, thanks to KBC for running my one-minute spot. It's called It's the Law. Please check it out on kabc.com. It's the Law. And also Too Many Lawyers is the podcast my son Connor and I do. Uh, Too Many Lawyers is available wherever you get your shows. And Connor had a, a fantastic call about an hour ago. So I'm going to nominate Connor because I'm biased because he's my son, along with Charlotte as co-calls of the day. But I bet you can match or exceed their level of excellence. So let's view the bidding here. Uh, Derek Chauvin is going to the big house. Uh, he was guilty of murder in the second degree. Forty years in prison is what he may face. But 
That's not how the system rolls. If you don't have any priors, the sentencing guidelines say, well, you get about mm, 12, 15 years. So he probably will get about 15 years. And guess what? In Minnesota, you don't serve 15 years if you're sentenced. You spend about two-thirds in prison and one-third on parole. So he's probably looking at a decade. Now, he was also found guilty of two other charges, murder in the third degree and manslaughter. Now, murder in the second degree in Minnesota is not murder. And one of our, our calls... Uh, who I who called recently said, you know, I don't get it. And murder just isn't right. Well, that's the problem there is when you hear murder, you think intent to kill. That's everybody's understanding. That's what murder means. That's not what murder in the second degree in Minnesota means. It's something called felony murder. Felony murder is where you don't want to kill anybody. As a matter of fact, you may be praying that they aren't even hurt in what you're about to do, but you do want to stick up the 7-Eleven. And so when you go in with your gun and you ask the man working at the 7-Eleven to please hand over everything in the cash register and he fights back and he winds up dead, guess what? You're a murderer even though you didn't intend to kill. And that's worth 40 years in Minnesota. And what they said about Derek Chauvin was he didn't intend to kill George Floyd. Some people think he did. But most people say, no, we don't think he did. And the prosecution didn't even try to convince the jury that he intended to kill. The prosecution instead argued to the jury this was felony murder because a guy died in the course of Chauvin committing a felony, which was assault. Therefore, he's guilty. And the jury bought it. What else did the jury buy? They bought murder in the third degree. Oh, what's that? You know, it's funny. It's actually called murder in the second degree here in California. But what it boils down to is this. And picture yourself a train going by on the train tracks. And you're a maniac, and you've got a gun, and you're 20 or 30 yards from the train. And you say to yourself, you know, my idea of fun is to shoot a bullet into that train. I don't want to kill anybody. I literally do not intend anybody dies, but I just really love the idea of shooting into a train. If you do that, that's murder in the third degree in Minnesota and second degree here in California. Because although you didn't intend to kill, you knew darn well, because you weren't on LSD, that what you're doing may well result in a death, but you just don't care. That's murder too, and they found him guilty of that as well. And finally, they found him murder, guilty of manslaughter, which, as most folks know, means you didn't intend to kill, but somebody sure died, and it was a result of reckless grossly negligent conduct by you where you knew about the danger of death, but you went ahead and did it anyway. And that's what he was found guilty of today in Minnesota. One question people have been asking is, why didn't Officer Derek Chauvin testify in his own defense? Now, if the prosecution has done a pretty good job and you're sitting there at the defense table and you're thinking, oh man, this has not been any fun. I think we're going down. Why wouldn't you throw a Hail Mary pass and put him on the stand and have him tearfully explain to the jury, I am super remorseful. I had no idea he was going to die. I really thought I was following police procedure. I know it looks bad for the knee to be on the neck that long, but you know he was resisting. And by the way, the crowd was unruly. They were advancing toward me. I was distracted. So please cut me a break. Wouldn't that have been a smart thing to do to somehow kick it down a notch from murder in the second degree 40 years to instead maybe manslaughter? I know, hindsight's easy. Monday morning quarterbacking is easy. But the idea that he didn't take that opportunity, to, did he really think he was going to win? Did he really think with that videotape of him having a knee on the neck for nine and a half minutes, even after there was no pulse, even after George Floyd was unconscious, and without following police procedure, which says you 
roll somebody a little bit on their side so they can breathe while you've got them you know, in a hold, and you administer CPR if they can't breathe. He didn't do any of that. Did he really think he was going to win 12-0? No. Did he think he was going to get a hung jury? Well, maybe. When we come back, I'll explain to you why he might have thought that because of the pretrial comments by some of the jurors that suggested they were pretty sympathetic to police. 1-800-222-KBC is the number if you'd like to weigh in on the Derek Chauvin trial. 743 The Time, Talk Radio 790-KABC. Your host, Royal Oaks. Stay with us. 745 The Time, Talk Radio 790-KABC. Royal Oaks, your host. I can't listen to this song without thinking of Chevy Chase and Paul Simon playing the saxophone. Uh, check it out. Go on YouTube and... Uh, and uh, just plug in those names. Uh, you're going to love the video that you see. 1-800-222-KABC, our number. We're talking, of course, about the news of the day, the Derek Chauvin verdict out of Minnesota. Uh, I mentioned that uh, maybe the defense didn't have Derek Chauvin testify. He took the Fifth Amendment and he, he did not uh, take the stand because there were some jurors based on the, the voir dire period, the jury selection process, where they made some comments that might have given the defense some hope. Uh, there was one woman who said, you know what, um, I think all lives matter. And when you hear about that expression, all lives matter, you, you realize, no, not cool. Nobody says that. I remember a few politicians two or three years ago uh, were vilified for uttering the words all lives matter. They just didn't get it. It was not acceptable. It was not woke. Before there was wokeness, it was not politically correct. And so for this juror questioned a month or so ago whether as to whether she'd get on this trial, for her to say all lives matter, mm, that was kind of a dog whistle, I think, maybe, that the defense might say, oh, I, I, yeah, I kind of like her. And I'm shocked that the prosecution uh, didn't strike her. There was another woman on the jury panel who said she had a very favorable opinion of blue lives matter. So she liked Blue Lives Matter. Mm, why did the prosecution allow that person to get in? She also said, I'd be terrified if police departments were dismantled. So you had a few jurors that the defense might have said to themselves, eh, you know, maybe they'll be receptive to our reasonable doubt theory here. And in a criminal case, you only need one juror to hold out in order to cause a mistrial. A hung jury, you do it all over again. Doesn't mean you're going to win the second time, but at least you can survive to fight another day. But the defense, uh, th they chose not to use the testimony of Derek Chauvin. Now, one question that has arisen in a lot of people's minds is, why was there such a quick jury verdict? I mean, we know in Los Angeles legal history, we've had some quick jury verdicts. I believe the O.J. Simpson verdict time may have set a record. It was about two, two and a half hours. But when you figure that the first hour is taken up with pretty much picking a jury foreman, and then they had to order a ham sandwich for lunch, there wasn't a whole lot of time to talk about whether O.J. Simpson murdered those two people. This jury wasn't quite that quick, but they were... 10 hours worth. Now, why would it be so short? Well, some people say, well, they were intimidated, they were worried about you know, violence in the streets and, and personal, uh, personal safety and so on. I think there was also a, a possibility that the juror's attitude was, uh, you know, we heard lots of doctors and PhDs and scientists and so on. All we need really is the video. Nobody puts his knee on somebody's neck for nine and a half minutes, resulting in them dying and us letting them get away with it. Now, 
there was a question, did it really result in, in them dying? Well, the defense had evidence. Well, he had methamphetamine in his system. Well, he had fentanyl in his system. Well, he had a, a heart condition. He had a slightly enlarged heart and so on. And he'd been struggling with the cops. And, uh, and maybe there was a carbon monoxide coming out of the tailpipe of the, the squad car nearby. I imagine, and we'll probably know in the next day or, two, day or two when the jurors go public with the media, I imagine the jurors are going to say, yeah, we heard all that. You know what? It isn't the nine and a half minutes that killed George Floyd. He was yelling like crazy for the first seven or eight minutes saying, I can't breathe. You're killing me here. You know, I, I, you got to help me. He, he was not dead then. He was expressing himself vociferously. He died because even after there was no pulse and even after he was unconscious, still... Derek Chauvin didn't lift his knee. The police procedure in Minnesota says you roll somebody on their side to help them breathe, breathe if they're having trouble breathing, and he didn't do it. The police procedure in Minnesota says you administer immediate CPR to somebody who's passing out, and he didn't do it. And if somebody's unconscious and they have no pulse, you don't keep grinding away with your knee. That's why it only took 10 hours for this jury to come back with this kind of a result. 1-800-222-KABC if you'd like to weigh in. That still leaves us with the question, what lessons do we learn from this? Well, if you listen to the Reverend Al Sharpton, who was there on the national TV cameras today, of course, it's all about societal racism. It's all about systemic racism among the police. Is that true? Do we know if Derek Chauvin was a racist? Do we know the degree to which racism exists in terms of police shootings uh, as a result of, of this verdict? I don't think so. Now, the president can make his announcement and, and say that he was praying for this guilty verdict. But when you have an approach by Maxine Waters, who takes a flight to Minnesota, uninvited, I expect, and insisted on armed guards to and from her trip, and when she tells the, the people she speaks to in Minnesota, I want you to be confrontational. I want you to go into the streets. We've got to have a murder verdict or else. Is this really the way you want to run a legal system? I, I don't think so. Uh, the prosecution overcame some possibly pro-police jurors, and I think it was all because of the video. 7.51 The Time, Talk Radio 790-KABC, our number 1-800-222-KABC. If you'd like to weigh in, stay with us. 7.53 The Time, Talk Radio 790-KABC. Royal Oaks, your host, right up to the top of the hour when Carolyn Kay, Save the USA, will be on KABC. 1-800-222-KABC, the number for you to weigh in. Let's go to the phones. David in Los Angeles, what's your take on the Derek Chauvin verdict? Well, I have three takes. Number one. If the government gives the police a gun, they should be able to check his mental status. Number two, it's I agree with that. Number two, and, and number two, it's easy to do. I'm a handwriting analyst myself. With a simple handwriting analyst, nothing complicated. They could have stripped, they could have seen that this guy is operating with the lower brain, as we say, not to the cortex, but the lower brain. Number three, which is the most important, if that was a fake currency. What's the police doing? They should give it to the detectives and, and quickly get away. We don't know that fake currency. Is he just the one who took it from another person, or is he distributing it? Not, none of the visits have chosen to even touch the guy. 
Well, let me talk about all of your points. First, I agree with you, as I said. If the, if the government gives you a gun, uh, I think, you, absolutely. We don't want maniac cops running around. We don't want mentally unstable people. So, yeah, whatever it takes, mental status exams, you know, look at their history, look at uh, complaints by citizens, absolutely. Uh, and not just cops, but I think it's it's just bad generally for anybody having a gun if, if they're a whack job. Now, your second point is that he's a lower brain guy. I, I don't know. I mean, I don't know Derek Chauvin. I saw him sitting there and, you know, he didn't look like a very happy guy. Was there something about him that caused you to no, think? No, 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 that, no, 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 you're, mis you're misunderstanding me. Yeah, go ahead. His lower brain kicked in. At one point, instead of him have been, being logical, his lower brain, his aggressive brain kicked in. And that can be easily seen in the handwriting ana analysis. Nothing complicated about that. You know, that does sound complicated. Yeah, I, when you said lower brain, I thought you were saying that he just in general was sort of a defective human being. He was like a sociopath or, or stupid. So so when you say he, he, the aggression kicked in, one of the elements of the testimony in the trial was that cops are told when the crowd gets a little unruly, you've got to project confidence and calm and you're in charge of the situation. Uh, and, and, and they were arguing that maybe he left his knee on there a little too long because he was trying to show the crowd he was in charge. Now, I don't know if that's what you're saying, uh, kicked in the, you know, the aggressive factor. I'm guessing handwriting analysis might not be the best way. Or maybe you're a, a fan of handwriting analysis, but you think graphology really is the way to go to analyze cops? Well, they gave an excellent example when taking the course of handwriting analysis of a judge. And the judge, they were supposed to release his convict, whatever, to a model citizen. And then he got some handwriting analysis, and they told him if this guy gets released, he would burst and kill people. He went to a bar the next day and killed three people with a gun. Came back and killed. Handwriting, it's, they call it the propensity. It does show the propensity to create violence. You don't want those people near a gun at all. And I, and I'll go even further. I'll say if someone really went to this guy's family history, he would have seen that there was enough signs. Well, maybe so. What you're, deal what you're talking about, uh, David, is a pretty complicated uh, evaluative process to, to put uh, somebody under the you know, Sigmund Freud microscope uh, before we make them cops. I, I mean, ideally, yeah, we'd vet the heck out of them uh, since you know, they've got a gun, they've got the power of life and death over people. But, I mean, is it real, really realistic? Uh, I, I just don't know that we're going to start doing psychological exams and handwriting analysis for, for prospective police. I mean, if we had unlimited resources, uh, yeah. Uh, David, thank you for sharing your thoughts. Let's go to Frank in Los Angeles. You're on KBC with Royal Oaks. Hey, Frank. Hey, how you doing, sir? Good, thanks. Good. Listen, I just wanted to say that um, I think what happens with uh, people, they have to understand whenever you stop by the police, all you have to do is listen to what is being said. If you know that you didn't do anything wrong, Right. Then you can be calm. You don't have to be belligerent. You don't have to get into an argument. The reason why I said this, because it happened to me. I'm going to work uh, one night in the morning. Uh, I look up. I, I see a helicopter on top of me. I see units on the side of me and behind me. So I'm thinking they're they going to a call. But they were pursuing me. They turn on the lights. They pulled me over, held me to put my uh, hands out of the vehicle get out the vehicle, I get out the vehicle. Uh, they asked me to, uh, to go in the middle of the street, which I was at in the street, uh, put, uh, bend down on my knees in the street, put my hands behind my back, 
and they cuffed me, came behind me and cuffed me. Now, I know I didn't do anything, so I'm saying to myself, this is a misunderstanding, but they got guns drawn on me, and I'm not trying to make a mistake. So what happens then, they go and ask to search my vehicle. They look in the vehicle. Maybe five minutes they come back. They pick me up. They take the handcuffs off me, and they say, say, says to me, we're sorry, sir, your vehicle had been, uh, a vehicle like yours had been pursued, and we thought that it was you. Uh, a gun had been uh, brandished out of the vehicle, and we made a mistake. And I'm like, okay. He said, now, you might even get an apology like they told me to say that they were, are you going to work? I said, yes. He said, well, is there anything that we can give you to say that we delayed you from work? And I said, no, I'm fine. So my point is this, that I tell my sons all the time. Even, you never know why the police stop you. It could be, uh, you know, I can tell. That Frank, you- I got to tell you, you're making you're a fabulous point. It's, it's wonderful advice. The problem is, to emphasize that today, it sounds harsh because, yeah, George Floyd would be alive today if he didn't resist, but he shouldn't be dead. Today is, he died, and this guy is going to pay the price. Hey, this is Royal Oaks. Thank you so much for watching us. Please check out It's the Law on KBC.com. Please check out our podcast, Too Many Lawyers. Have yourself a great evening. So long. Stick with KABC.